Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice. Believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. Who's quitting their jobs, right? This is one of the main narratives that we're seeing in the media. In fact, the New York Times just got owned on this thing. They had an article in the last couple of days where they did a, a, a thoughtful conversation with six people who quit their jobs instead of getting a COVID vaccine. And it turns out that one of them who is represented in the article as just like kind of a normal person who, who uh, you know, sincerely and, and heartfelt has concerns and is worried. Turns out this woman was a, uh, you know, just a, a screaming anti-vax activist, you know, out there threatening people. And I mean, just she was a total nutcase. And the New York Times didn't figure that out, didn't know that. They interviewed like six people as if they represent what, six million people? No, they represent maybe 6,000 people. I mean, this is a very, very small percentage of people who are quitting their jobs. But they're getting all this publicity because, you know, it plays into the Republican narrative that people are unhappy with how Biden is handling things. But where are they quitting their jobs? This is the fascinating thing. Eli, uh, Alyssa Fowers and Eli Rosenberg did a deep dive in the Washington Post on this. And they report, and I'm quoting from the Washington Post, Kentucky, Idaho, South Dakota, and Iowa reported the highest increases in the rate of workers who quit their jobs in August. Uh, in addition to Georgia, which had the largest increase in quitters, with 35,000 people leaving their jobs in Georgia. So the question then becomes, why are people quitting their jobs in these rural states? I mean, if it's service jobs, like being, you know, in a, working in a restaurant or something where you might be exposed to COVID, I get it. But those are mostly in big cities. Why in Idaho? Why in Kentucky are people quitting their jobs? Why in South Dakota and Iowa are people quitting their jobs? Georgia, yeah, Georgia could be skewed because it's got Atlanta, but, but it seems like it's in rural areas. Well, here's, here's the clue that they lay out in this piece in the Washington Post. This is from Fowers and Rosenberg, quote, Employees quit or were hired at rates matching or exceeding the national average in the 10 states with the highest rates of new COVID infections that month. Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Oklahoma, South Carolina, and Tennessee. Those 10 states had, on the one hand, 
the highest rates of COVID infections. Keep in mind, we have the highest rates of COVID infections in the entire developed world. Nobody's even close. We have the highest rates of death and the highest rates of infection. We are 4% of the world's population. We have 25% of the world's COVID infections. Because Donald Trump pushed COVID, pushed people into COVID during the last six months of his presidency because he hoped that that would get people back to work and it would get people back to shopping so the economy would recover so that he could win re-election. It's really very simple. And he has as much as come out and said this, as have numerous people who surrounded him. This is not a secret. This is not a conspiracy theory. He pushed people into COVID. And thus we end up with a quarter of the world's COVID infections being 4% of the world's population. We've got the worst case of COVID in the world right now. And it's continuing in these red states. So the highest rate of COVID infection in these 10 states turns out to be exactly the same 10 states where you have the highest rate of people quitting their jobs. Now, two correlations become immediately obvious to me. The first is some people are quitting their jobs because they're afraid of getting COVID. I mean, you know, if you're working at a super, supermarket checkout uh, you know, station and five or 10 or 20 or 30% of the people coming by refuse to wear masks and they're coughing all over you, and you're doing this for 13 bucks an hour or 10 bucks an hour or 7.25 an hour in some of these states. What do you say? You say, I'm out of here. I will sit this out. I'll go live with my parents or my best friend until COVID passes and I feel safe going back to work. That's one obvious answer. By the way, these are all right to work states. The right to work for less laws that say that basically you have no union protections in this state. So these workers have no protections. They've got no one they can turn to to help remedy their unsafe conditions. They have no collective bargaining power. There's a great deep dive on this over at Daily Coast today by uh, Dartigan in the community section. That kind of ties these things together. In Missouri, a group of businesses, this is from the Washington Post, still frustrated by labor shortages more than three months after the state cut off the $300 a week federal jobless checks paid for billboards in Springfield that say, get off your butt, get to work. The state has seen no growth in its workforce since ending emergency benefits. See, this was the story that Republicans came up with initially. Oh, well, people are quitting their jobs because they're making 300 bucks a month on unemployment. So. The unemployment benefits ran out in, at the end of September, at, at the end of last month, but uh, uh, over a dozen Republican-controlled states cut those unemployment benefits in June, July, or August because they thought, oh, this is why people are refusing to go to work. So they cut their benefits. And guess what? It didn't change the numbers even a fraction of a percent. It's that people were afraid. That's, that's, that's one answer. The other answer, the other possible answer to why in these particular red states that are having really serious problems with COVID running amok, infecting people like crazy, 
because the states don't have mask mandates. They don't have vaccine mandates. In fact, in many cases, they have laws against even allowing towns in those states from having their own local municipal mask mandates. The other reason has to do with what COVID does to you. I think that might be a big correlation, too. I'll tell you about that right after this break with our geeky science. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Here's a hint. It may well be disabling people in ways that make it difficult to work. I'll tell you all about that. Stick around. So, you know, I was asking the question, why is it that the 10 states that have the highest rates of COVID infection in the United States are also the 10 states where the majority of people who are quitting their jobs are quitting their jobs? Why would that be? I think the media has completely mangled this story, first of all. And they've tried to turn it into something that is, you know, big and has to do with, you know, is this the rebooting of an entire generation and, you know, all this kind of thing. No, it's you've got 10 states that have really high levels of COVID infection, higher than any other country in the world in some cases, or any other country in the developed world, certainly. The problem, you know, Brazil is skewing those numbers because Bolsonaro took the same path Trump did. Oh, yes, hydroxychloroquine, it's wonderful. You don't need a stinking mask. And now the, the, the Brazilian Senate has is attempting to charge Bolsonaro with genocide, essentially crimes against crimes against humanity for the for the death of, you know, I, I believe it's over 300,000 people in Brazil and Brazil has a fraction of the population of the United States. But anyhow, so the question, you know, why are these people quitting in these states? Well, obviously, number one, if you're in the middle of, of the worst part of the pandemic in the United States, you're going to be the most reluctant to go into work where you might get exposed. That that's obvious. But then there's a second piece to this. Those people who are in those, those 10 red states that have the highest levels of people quitting, that by coincidence are mostly the states, I think there might be one or two exceptions there, but they're the states where they cut off the unemployment benefits early, two and three months early, thinking that would push people back into the workforce. It didn't. Those are the states where workers are more likely to get infected. So what are the consequences of getting infected? Well, you know, a small percentage of people die, but it's a, you know, give the devil his due. It's 1%, one out of 100. Now that's still a huge number, right? I mean, you know, there's, at any given moment, there's 10,000 airplanes in the, in the air over the United States on a typical business day. If one in 100 of them fell out of the sky, that's 100 airplanes crashing every single day, right? If I'm doing my math right. Do you think anybody would ever fly again if 100 airplanes crashed yesterday? Would today anybody get on a plane? I don't think so. But, you know, one in 100 deaths. But, but I don't think that's it. I think what it is is that even with a mild case of COVID, there are severe consequences. It's called long COVID. And, and here's one of the most frightening of them all. And I, you know, as, as a person who I, I very much kind of live in my head, but I think that, I think that's true of I, all of us. I, you know, I think the human condition is that as much as we think we live in the world, we also live in our heads. 
we translate the world into, into, into internal dialogue and experience. And, being able, and therefore, being able to function and live in this world requires a functional memory. And what you know, psychologists refer to as cognitive processes, thinking, the ability to think clearly. Well, this is a, a, a shocking new study, an absolutely mind-boggling study. This was done, uh, this study was done by the U.S. Mount Sinai Hospital Group. Uh, they looked at 740 COVID-19 patients. 63% were women. None of these people had died. These were all, you know, uh, and, and what they identified were over 200 different symptoms associated with long COVID. But the most significant was, and I'm uh, quoting here from a, a, from a piece uh, over at uh, nordot.app, uh, trouble with remembering things, finding words, and processing new information are among the long-term cognitive prob problems that appear to be occurring more frequently than previously thought after severe COVID-19 cases, according to a new study. 13% of outpatients, 35% of people treated in the hospital after their COVID was long gone had problems finding words. 12% of outpatients, and there's people who never got sick enough to go into the hospital. They were simply diagnosed with COVID. 12% of them, 12 out of 100, and 39% of those who actually got into the hospital, 39 out of 100, said that they had lost their attention span. They would uh, get up from the couch on their way to the kitchen to get a, a glass of milk from the refrigerator or a glass of fruit juice, and halfway there they'd forget why they were walking into the kitchen, that kind of thing. 39% of hospitalized patients, 12% of outpatients. So in these 10 states where people were more likely to get COVID, they're more likely to have long COVID symptoms, which is affecting at the very minimum 10, 10 to 13% of everybody who got COVID. And for the people who are hospitalized, between 35 and 39%. Well, if you've got that as a symptom, if you can't remember the conversation, you know, in the middle of a conversation, you forget what you're talking about. If you can't remember words, how do you expect to go to work and do your job? You can't. So what do you do? You call up and you quit and you go on unemployment because really you're unemployable. Your brain doesn't work anymore. This is one of the things that appears to be happening in these red states. Now, it'd be easy here to insert a joke about why red states are still supporting Trump because they're all brain damaged by COVID. I'll pass on that. Oh, my goodness. Since we're speaking of memory, by the way, somebody, somebody tweeted me saying, Memory vitamins are flying off the shelves in the pharmacies, and so they've had to put them under the counter. And I'm like, really? Is this a national trend, or does this just happen where you live? I don't know. I just, I just replied to that tweet. But uh, apparently damaging your memory is one of the biggest consequences of getting COVID, which is a pretty disconcerting thing. Turns out there's one other thing that can damage your memory. This is another... Uh, a fascinating study. This is, this is published, supported by the National Institutes on Aging, 
the Ohio Agricultural Research and Development Center and was published by Ohio State University. Four weeks on a diet of highly processed food led to a strong inflammatory response in the brains of aging rats that was accompanied by behavioral signs of memory loss. Uh, this is fascinating. They gave rats a diet that mimicked ready-to-eat human foods. Things like uh, frozen entrees, frozen dinners. You think, oh yeah, there's a lot of vegetables in this frozen dinner, but it's been, it's been processed to death, right? It's just, it's like dead food. They say, you know, pasta dishes, pizza, deli meats, potato chips. So they fed the, this kind of all-American or standard American diet, this SAD diet, to these rats. And very rapidly, the rats started experiencing cognitive problems, you know, the thinking problems. This is a quote from the study. These findings indicate the consumption of a processed diet can produce significant and abrupt memory deficits. And in the aging population, rapid memory decline has a greater likelihood of progressing into neurodegenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's disease. By being aware of this, we can limit processed foods in our diets and increase consumption of foods that are rich in the omega-3 fatty acid DHA to either prevent or slow that progression. Now, DHA is the, uh, one of the two fatty acids, along with EPA, that you find in, I think, flaxseed oil is one of them. Um, and it turns out that with, they, they gave one group of rats this you know, all-American diet, and they, saw, within four weeks, they were, their memory was gone, or going. And they gave another group of rats, uh, normal rat chow, as the control group, and they didn't lose their memory, aging rats and young rats both. And then they gave the third group of rats the crappy diet with DHA uh, supplementation, omega-3 fatty acid supplementation. And those rats uh, experienced a much less significant decline in memory function. Now, they, they, come out of their, they go out of their way to say, don't think, therefore, that you can eat a crappy diet and just take some fish oil pills and everything will be good. <laughs> in fact, they talk about how this actually has to do with genes. Among DHA's multiple functions in the brain is a role in fending off an inflammatory response. This was the first study of its ability to act against brain inflammation caused by a processed food diet. And then they go on to say, activation of genes linked to a powerful pro-inflammatory protein. That would be a bad thing, right? Protein and other markers of inflammation were significantly elevated in the hippocampus and amygdala in the older rats that ate the processed diet alone compared to the young rats on any diet and the aged rats that ate the DHA supplemented processed foods. The older rats forgot having spent time in an unfamiliar space within a few days, a, signs of a sign of problems with contextual memory in the hippocampus, and did not display anticipatory fear behavior to a danger cue suggesting abnormalities in the amygdala, which is where we process fight or flight stuff. So, you know, it's an absolutely fascinating study. And, you know, uh, the main thing that it highlights is the importance of eating a diet that is, you know, mostly raw or unprocessed foods, lots and lots of salads, fresh vegetables, fresh fruits, things like that. So following on brain science. So let me pick up your phone calls here. Marco in Los Angeles. Hey, Marco, thanks for listening to KPFK. What, uh, although I think they're, they're, they moved on now. So what's up? Yeah. Back when Thomas Paine produced Common Sense, that was illegal. He would have been killed if they could have caught him. And then James Madison made him legal by producing the First Amendment in our constitutional government. Mm -hmm. And 
Then Lewis Hill comes along in 1949 and produces KPFA, which breaks up commercials, separates commercial from free speech. And what I'm saying is those three ought to be put in, together in one class and have that level of education uh, put forth, that that's all First Amendment stuff. And then when somebody lies on any broadcast, they get charged, they get fined. And that way, you, you separate the free speech, non-commercial from commercial, because broadcast, yeah. commercial broadcasting basically lies. Well, yeah, I don't disagree that they lie, Marco, but I'm not sure I want the government deciding whether I'm lying or not, particularly if that government is headed up by Donald Trump. But everything else, I'm with you. Yeah, teach the history, absolutely. Thank you, Marco. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Eric in Erie, Pennsylvania. Hey, Eric, what's on your mind? On your COVID quitters and some of the data, I saw something over the weekend. I think it was on Brian Stelter's program on CNN. And they were looking at police deaths for the year 2020, I believe, was the data. And they were comparing police who died by shooting to police who died from COVID. Right. And it was, a, it was about 90 by shooting. And who knows how many of those were suicide. There's always some in that number. But the COVID number was like 490. And they had them both categorized under line-of-duty deaths. And I want to know if you know, or if there's maybe somebody out there who knows, are cops dying from COVID? Are their families getting full line-of-duty benefits for life? Presumably. Yeah, they're calling it a line-of-duty death. But, hey, this was, you know, you had cops out there during COVID, I mean, they were on the front lines. They should get that. Yeah, but uh, if they refused vaccine, these guys had first access. Yeah, but we're not talking, yeah. if you're looking at 2020 statistics, you're looking at, you're right. at yeah. people who are entirely pre-vaccine. Yeah, you know, I didn't make the, the connection, actually, and that's a good point. But going forward, they're going to need to delineate these because this has become, it's like a new anti-vax subgroup in police. Have you seen some of the rhetoric coming out oh, yeah. of some of these union? I mean, it's really aggressive. And it goes to show for you know Black Lives Matter and traffic stops and all manner of stop and frisk and stuff. Everyone is starting to see this. I'm anointed. I have a separate set of rules for me attitude that cops often portray. We had New York City subway cops roughing up a guy over the last couple of days. I don't know if you saw the footage of that. He asked them, why are you not wearing a mask on the subway? They grabbed him and threw him out the emergency door. Well, no, I so, didn't see that. I mean, but, yeah, these, these cops, it's, it's gotten pretty good circulation if you Google it, New York subway cops. And it's a guy, he was, as far as the video shows, he was polite and kind of conciliatory and said, hey, why aren't you guys wearing a mask? It's required on the train. And they- Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is. 
to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, with two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Just grabbed him and strong-armed him. Yeah, yeah. So Power does strange things to people, Eric. You know, particularly people who are who have felt powerless throughout their lives, which is typically the case with bullies. Most bullies are compensating for a for a feeling of of inferiority or powerlessness or 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 some trauma in their lives. And uh, which is not to excuse it. But, you know, it's often who seeks out that job. I had a neighborhood bully growing up where I did as a kid and he pounded on all of us kids around the neighborhood. You yeah, know, and uh, <laughs> he ended up in YPD. I, I grew up around there, so yeah. Yeah, uh, no, I, then, there, there was a there was a bully in the neighborhood that I was growing up, and he, he beat me up several times. His name was Dennis, and uh, later, this was when I was like seven, eight, nine. Later on, I learned that his father used to uh, beat him in the basement with a belt. I used yeah, to tie him to a pole and it, beat him. It's cyclical. Well, you know, my dad was a cop, and I got whacked with the belt probably not as many times as I had it coming to me. Yeah. And I, well, I ended no, up a funeral director. Yeah. So, okay, Eric. No, I no kid. Want to be around people. Yeah, no kid deserves to be hit with a belt. I just put that on the record. Carol in Coutinia County, Idaho. Am I saying that yeah. right, Carol? Yes, Tom, and I've spoken to you before. I'm a regular viewer, and thank you. You spoke earlier about a situation having to do with the Republican counties or the Republican states have some of the highest unemployment rates, and you specifically had talked about, you know, the reasons why that could be. And I wanted to say. I think you are exactly right on your thinking, correct thinking regarding that, and I'm in a perfect example of that. I don't know if you're familiar with, but our governor tried to institute a mandate to wear masks early on, mm-hmm. and he had a terrible problem with it because we have a kind of a weird situation like the John Adams, George Washington situation where they didn't really work together. 
you know. Is the governor um, and his cabinet or his attorney general or secretary? Yes, lieutenant, lieutenant governor. Lieutenant governor, exactly. It's like a weird situation. We moved here like eight years ago or so. Mm-hmm. And the governor, Governor Little, he's really a, he's a conservative, but he's kind of a real moderate conservative and really tried to institute a mask mandate. Mm-hmm. And the lieutenant governor there's a continual battle going on between the two of them. It's whenever he tries to leave the state to go for governor meetings or, where, you know, requirements that he has for his job, he's, he's, for my opinion, living here, he's been a pretty upstanding person, and I'm an independent. Mm-hmm. But whenever he leaves the state, she totally rescinds his laws. It's a lady, and she totally, uh, I don't care what, what she is, male, female, whatever, but the point is, she rescinds his laws and totally goes rogue. Oh, I, I, mean, I read about that. Wild. Yeah, your, your, your lieutenant governor is, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's kind of nuts. Yeah. And obviously and she wants to be the next governor. I mean, you know, this is this exactly. is the subplot here. So Exactly, exactly. And she he, he has to come back and straighten everything out again. Right. And it's been an ongoing battle. Oh, like funny. you can't believe, well, that is trickled down all the way down throughout the whole entire population. Mm-hmm. And bottom line is that in combination, of course, with the stand up for your rights thing, uh, with the Second Amendment, which it has mask mandates have nothing to do with the Second Amendment, but mm-hmm. whatever, people have instituted a situation here where even if you wear a mask, I went to the grocery store just, you know, a week or so ago and had three white men come up and harass me because of wearing a mask. And by the way, I don't wear one mask. I wear double masks because nobody wears a mask. So you're just, so Carol, if if I could interrupt for just a second, for people who might have just tuned in, what I was saying earlier is that the 10 states that have the highest rates of people quitting their jobs are also yeah. the 10 states that have the highest rates of COVID infection and are also yeah. all right-to-work states and are also all Republican-controlled states. And yeah. that my hypothesis was that people are quitting their jobs in those states for two reasons. Number one, they don't want to get infected with COVID in the workplace for, for crappy minimum wage. It's, it, you know, I think in every, every one of those states, or at least most of them, it's still around $7.25 an hour. And number two, a lot of these people probably actually got COVID got sick and now they're disabled their you know their brain doesn't work the way it used to or their body doesn't work the way it used to and so they've got to quit their jobs you know period and so you're saying that and idaho is one of those 10 states you're saying that yes your experience in idaho is that that analysis is accurate yes with the now the exception of this i can verify everything on your first point the second point about the long term i don't have that for verification but i can assimilate from the first point that you made about the unemployment. No one, nowhere, every place has is advertising for people to come to work. And nobody is. And I can tell you from my own personal experience, I most certainly am not. I get calls probably, I don't know, 50 calls a day asking me to come to work. Well, here's what I have to weigh. First off, I just got my second, my booster. I was determined with the situation in this state the way it is, where they are airlifting people from Idaho to the state of Washington, where, wait for it, 
masks are mandated. Right. Well, the they're, they're, airl- they're airlifting them here to Oregon, too, from Idaho. Yeah, they're airlifting them COVID to patients. states that have had gone the distance and mandated masks. And, and the people have upheld that and taken advantage of those states because our state and our population is being absolutely selfish. Yeah. Will yeah. not wear masks and harass people. In other words, people who are trying to do the right thing are to, to I just turn around and look at them. All three of those people that harass me, I don't say a word. I just look at them and I think in my head, you know what? In about a week or two, you'll be dead or airlifted. That's yeah. the way I think about it. Yeah. I it's, don't answer. I don't respond. It's sad. But so, it's, Carol, I need to wrap this up and move along to the next caller. But bottom line is sure. you're saying that you think that people are quitting their jobs in Idaho because there's just so much sickness and there's no protection. And you've got all these right. mask holes running around we yelling are low at people. They, they, they low pay, they're low pay, no health care, no benefits. It's right down the first line that you're saying. Yeah. So I just wanted to call and confirm that and appreciate for what you said. And I am using my time to be calling President Biden. I call, write, phone, survey, mansion, cinema. I'm using all my time That's to great. work on it. Now, after your piece on DeJoy, I'm going to be getting on that. Okay. Carol, thank you. It's great to hear from you, and I really appreciate the call. Matt in St. Louis, Missouri. Hey, Matt, you've got a report Hi, on yes. the job situation in Missouri? Well, yeah, you know, continuing what you're saying, I live in a completely Republican-controlled state, and when Donald Trump was president, we were allowed to have local mask mandates in public places, you know, like your job. But when Joe Biden the next year became the president, and then the Delta virus came back in the same state, we're we're not allowed to control our local public safety. I, you know, I was working at a cashier at the time, and when they fought back and they won against those mask mandates, the customers became too emboldened. And uh, they're hard enough to control when we had a not really enforced mandate. But uh, when I look for jobs, here's the problem. Uh, the last few jobs that I've looked for, they've offered $10.30 an hour. That is below $10 an hour take-home pay after taxes. That's nine and change. And when I go, to, whether it's a Starbucks or another type of franchise, they don't consider a 40 hours full-time work anymore. They consider 28 to 32 hours full-time work. So that's another issue that people have. That's not, that's why not only are they quitting because the conditions are unsafe. I'm fully vaccinated, but mm-hmm. when I go look for a job, how do I know I'm in a state where a majority of people are not vaccinated? Right. And so how do we have this conversation? How do we, how do I, you know, especially when I'm trying to look for jobs that I'm over, probably overqualified for and I'm underemployed, these jobs necessarily are, they're not built to have a conversation like that. Mm-hmm. I, I can't make a check. I can't check. I'm fully vaccinated or I don't see signs that say, please apply here. Our staff is fully vaccinated. So they're alienating people who did the right thing. In my state, I did the right thing. I'm fully vaccinated. Uh, I need a job. I also applied at another store in my neighborhood. They've had a help wanted sign for several months. I patronized the store and they ultimately told me I was too old. 
So I'm over 40 years old. I just happened to mention kind of like when I was in college because it had to do with my experience relative to the store. It's a store that I go by and I, I patronize. And uh, I had a rapport with a young man. So he was honest and he said, well, the owner said, we just don't want to hire anybody over 40 because they're too hard to train. And I went home and I typed that in. <laughs> That's illegal, man. I typed that in. Yeah. I, I mean, so like Tom, so like Tom, like the idea that someone in my state would take out a billboard and they would taunt the unemployed during a pandemic is I wouldn't be able to write this and sell this to Hollywood. They would right. say it's not real. So is, you know is Missouri I mean? one of the states where the where these uh, right wing conservative billionaires have put up these billboards that say, uh, get off your ass, get a job? Yeah, they have. And, and they wow. what, what's weird is, is they're choosing to do it. And this is the weird thing. They're not doing it in St. Louis or Kansas City, Tom. They're not doing it in blue areas. They're talking to their own people and they're being very hard and they're cracking the whip. And oh. I'm scared. No, about no, that's Trump. not what's going on, Matt. What's going on is, you know, in, in, the, in the red areas of your state, when those folks see those billboards, they're thinking in their heads, they're not thinking these people are talking to me. They're thinking, oh, these people are talking to those lazy people who don't want to work. That's what they're thinking. Yeah. Well, there's, I think, how many small business owners, Tom, or Trump people? Let's be honest. And so you want to help wanted signs. Are they really creating a perception? Are, are they, you know how good right-wingers are kind of identifying what the group message should be and then amplifying it no matter what it is? Yeah, so, I don't think this is some, some kind of weird conspiracy, Matt. I, I really think that what's going on is that people are saying, you know, there's a, there's a friggin' pandemic going on that's killing people and it's disabling people, and I don't want to be infected, and there are breakthroughs infections and i also don't want to deal with mass calls like the you know carol's call just a minute ago three people coming up to her in a supermarket and she's just she, she's not even a clerk she just is shopping you know giving her hassle i get it man thank you for the call you're listening to tom hartman visit tomhartman.com for audio and video archives i mean would you deal with mass calls all day every day for 10 bucks an hour i wouldn't Rob in Milpitas, California. Hey, Rob, what's up? What's up? I'd like to talk a little bit about foundations and their grant-giving policies vis-a-vis climate solutions. Okay. And I'm coming at this because we're creating a, a smart transit system here in Milpitas, California, down at the south end of San Francisco Bay. We're uh, planning on using foundation money for this $60 million project for various reasons, and you can learn all about it on the website. But the, the real point is that when we started looking for the money, we discovered that only 2% of all the money being distributed by foundations is going towards climate solutions. Hmm. Now, that 2% I could be happy with because our $60 million project is just not that big a deal. But apparently only 10% encourage people or groups or f- projects like ours to contact them. The other 90% have a don't call us, we'll call you policy in place. Which is fairly common among foundations. That's what I'm learning. So I'd like to push the odds in our favor a little bit by inviting your audience, if they know anybody in the foundation or grant giving business, to at least take a look on our website. We've got a list of about 25 uh, 
foundations that looked like they would be a pretty good match for this project. Now, this is reduced down from a much, much, much larger number, of course. But these guys, these outfits, these foundations seem like they'd be a pretty good fit. And if you know somebody inside of one of these organizations, just pass along our website and suggest that they take a look at it. The website, of course, is Milpitas PRT, and the PRT stands for Personal Rapid Transit, MilpitasPRT.com. Okay. And if you have click the button at the top that says support PRT, it'll take you right to and give you this background information and the list of the 25 candidates. Okay. Uh, you know, that, that's, 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 that's interesting, Rob. I, I would, my perspective on this is slightly different, and, and, and I'm speaking not just as a theoretician, but I'm also on the board of directors of a foundation that gives away money every year. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's called Vocal, V-O-Q-A-L.org is the website. And, uh, and, and we give away a, a fair amount of money in, in, in five cities and, and around the country. And I would think that from a foundation point of view, rather than spending your, your, pro, you know, your, your revenue or even your corpus, you know, burning your own cash to build green infrastructure, it would be better to spend that money to support political activists who want to change laws or change legislators so that government will, on an ongoing basis, build and maintain that kind of infrastructure. I mean, shouldn't this be the responsibility of government, not private foundations? Yes, it should be. And uh, yet, although this technology has been quite viable uh, technologically and financially for the last 40 years, the systems that we're approaching, whether they're private funding or whether it's governmental, uh, simply have not stepped up to the task. Yeah. Yeah. So we could, we're, God, this is a new, innovative way of trying to get a project done to demonstrate the technology. Okay, Milpitas PR... T, Personal Rapid Transit. PRT.com. Okay, got it. Rob, thank you very much. Fascinating conversation. is a close advisor, or was, more correctly, a close advisor to uh, Senator Kirsten Cinema. She and just short of a half a dozen other people on Cinema's advisory board, I think this was a Veterans Issues Advisory Board. I've seen it characterized that way in the media. They bailed and basically said, you know, we, we worked really hard to get you reelected. Well, this is what uh, Anders says. She, she has made a statement. She says, well, definitely we worked very hard to get her elected, and she ran on prescription drug prices and, you know, helping veterans. We have a lot of concerns right now about voting rights, and that really came to us as a very, very significant problem. Without voting rights, we can't have a strong democracy. And right now the Republicans are really making an effort, especially right here in Arizona, to limit our rights. And there are half a million veterans in the state of Arizona, and many of them have PTSD and, you know, physical disabilities that make it, de- make it uh, difficult, if not impossible, for them to participate in our democracy. So now, by refusing to participate in ending the filibuster, Kirsten Cinema is also apparently damaging the ability of veterans to vote, which, of course, is the Republicans' plan. Meanwhile, AT&T, this is a great headline. This is uh, from April 6th. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. 
NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Cease on the Daily Coast staff, dailycoast.com. Uh, AT&T has yet to answer for its support of One America Network and customers have had it. Literally, I'm, I'm hearing from people, I'm seeing it on Twitter, people dumping their AT&T phone service and going to T-Mobile or Verizon or whoever, you know, consumer cellular. Consumer cellular is big. And they just say, screw it. Why, why am I giving AT&T money just so that they can hand it over to this right-wing no network? And it really is pretty amazing. I mean, AT&T owns DirecTV, and DirecTV has been paying One American News millions of dollars to carry their program on the, on the satellite. I'm on the Free Speech TV network right now. Free Speech TV actually pays DirecTV. It works the other way around. Now, I don't know if that's the norm across all of them or if it has to do with nonprofit or for-profit or whatever the deal is, but bottom line, AT&T does not have to pay this network a pile of money. They don't even have to carry them on their network, but the, the, the CEO of AT&T decided that he wanted to be like Rupert Murdoch. He, he wanted to be a, a right-wing media oligarch. 90% of OAN's parent company, Herring Network's funding comes from AT&T via direct. And they and AT&T had a hand in launching this network back in 2013. And uh, this this uh, activist, the NAACP president, Derek Johnson, he says, we are outraged to learn that AT&T has been funneling tens of millions of dollars into OAN since the network's inception. AT&T has caused, as a result, has caused irreparable damage to our democracy. Have you dumped AT&T? Send me a tweet about it. It's interesting. Or for that matter, even uh, DirecTV, they have a competitor, it's called Dish. Uh, in fact, they have multiple competitors. The first step would be to say, uh, hey, AT&T, change your policies. Isn't it time to change your policies? And then finally, this note, it's not the $3.5 trillion social spending bill. It's the paid family leave bill. It's the free community college bill. It's the universal pre-K bill. It's the dental, eye, and hearing coverage for seniors bill. It's the child tax credit benefit bill. It's the cheaper medicine bill. It's the tax the rich bill. Let's uh, recalibrate our language here as well. Okay, uh, end of rants. Let's pick up your phone calls here. Jeff in San Francisco. Hey, Jeff, what's on your mind today? We need to change the name of the pragmatic party. Should be the name of the new Democrats. 
Okay. Uh, and I have an idea of being pragmatic. Is there's this new uh, policy? There's, they've been forced in Australia for a lot of years to, to save water, and other countries where they there's a they take the black water from buildings, which is basically the sewage, and they you know recycle it. They use the the raw sewage to give to farmers for their plants, and we can have a give a big bunch of money to Kristen Cinema in Arizona. And she can support this system. We put her name on it. Go clean with Kristen. And uh, we could do something similar with Joe Manchin, where he uh, gets money for recycling bins or, or some kind of a plastic recycling. Reverse the carbon that they've been putting in the air by starting a whole system in uh, something like that. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Give See, them money. What you're trying to do here, Jeff, is fill in the blanks in in the uh, suggestion I made the other day that. That uh, Chuck Schumer should, uh, you know, throw a hundred billion dollars worth of lard, specifically for Arizona and and West Virginia, into the reconciliation bill, and then d dare Mansion and Cinema to vote against their own states. Exactly. And you're saying this you is know? where this is where the money should go. Yeah, water's a big deal in Arizona. I'm not sure exactly what the biggest big deal is in West Virginia, but uh, you know, jobs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. So, okay, we're, you know, we're, we're going to, you know, federally subsidized jobs in West Virginia. I mean, you know, there's a long history of, of the federal government hiring people. You know, our military adventures are the biggest example of that. But also, you know, the, WC, the WPA, the CCC, the TVA, all these uh, agencies that, that uh, Franklin Roosevelt, you know, generated in, 19, in the 1930s uh, to get us out of the Great Depression. You know, the federal government. Like the Ozarks. Yeah, created the Ozarks Jobs Program. I'm with you. There's a lot of possibilities. That's a good one. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you very much. Kent in uh, Eagle Point, Oregon. Hey, Kent, what's on your mind? Hey, yeah, let's talk about Sherman County, Oregon. They're about three hours uh, east of you there. Mm -hmm. And uh, they uh, went for Trump by 52 points on the last round. And uh, they have been embracing wind energy for about the last 19 to 20 years. And it took them from the one of the poorest counties in Oregon to one of the richest. They've got a surplus. They've got, they're rebuilding their infrastructure. That's where the tax dollars from the uh, wind generators are going. Mm -hmm. But what they did was they took and went to the ranchers and farmers there in the area and said, we need an acre of land. We want to put in a wind generator and we will pay you on a monthly basis to get that. The New York Times had an article out on it. OPB put out a great podcast on it. It's only about 15 minutes explaining how they did it. And uh, the uh, article in the New York Times interviewed a uh, farmer there. They do wheat and, and winter wheat, stuff like that. And they've got 15 generators. They're getting $5,500 a year per generator. Wow. And they've got 15 of them. And so that money provides money for seed for the next year, the repairing, the $10,000 repair on an engine for a tractor of, those, of that yeah, category. Yeah, it's like 70 grand a year, 80 grand a year. It's $82,500 a year. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, Not bad. That's, but, but the point is, that was, your t I mean, we've got to decide here somewhere. Are we going to change the minds of minds that cannot be changed, or are we going to dangle these dollars in front of them and say, this can work for you. Well, this is also and a county that voted overwhelmingly for Donald Trump. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And so, and there's no reason that those, the parts for those generators or for those turbines cannot be built right here in Oregon. I'm Longview, 
it was it was a shot in the arm economically for the city of Longview because that's where all that stuff came in from overseas. Yeah. And uh, I worked in infrastructure for 40 years. Dams, I've worked on Bonneville Dam. I worked on the, a lot of the bridges and buildings there right around Portland. I grew up in Portland. I've, uh, it was a great career. I made decent money. They were all union or prevailing wage jobs. And the amount of jobs that one of those creates is crazy. Yeah. And even the people in that county are saying, there's an there's a interview with the gal who owned a restaurant there. She says, I was dying. There was nobody stopping here. It's a county of like 17, less than 2,000 people. I was dying. When they started building those wind generators, I'm buying a new car. I've re, you know, I've remodeled yeah. my store and, and this yeah. and that. But the point is, is I, I live in southern Oregon, and I don't know if you remember down here, but it is really red. I really, have, really yeah. red. I've been there. Yeah, and you got to understand... You can either beat your. I, um, I'm for green energy. My oldest daughter is a lobbyist for the green energy, energy industry and for elections and so forth. We are all for it, and all of the Eastern Oregon, Central Oregon is prime for solar and wind oh, and yeah. everything else. But oh, we absolutely. have a representative there in District Two that won't hear about it. Oh, is that and uh, so, Greg? What's his name? Walden? No. Well, it was Greg? It was Walden. Now it's Bentz. Yeah. And uh, so, but these people and everybody, every homeowner in the county of Sherman County gets a check of a little over $500 before Christmas. Everyone. Wow. Because wow. you're generating now, your own electricity and, locally. That's, it's just, yeah, that, that's. And another thing is there's Judge Thompson was the guy who was a local judge there in the county who orchestrated it and oversaw the whole thing. It was a public-private corporation collaborative like Hoover Dam was and all this. And uh, if I was if I wasn't seventy and I was starting over at eighteen years old again, I'd be out there looking for a job building those things because I could you would work until you're sixty five. Yeah, building this. No, stuff. this is the future. This is absolutely the future. Ken, thank you. Excellent, <laughs> excellent reporting. And and, and uh, tell your daughter go for it. Ken, thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, keep being a lobbyist for green energy. We like we need more of them. Cliff in Cherokee Village, Arkansas. Hey, Cliff, thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. What's on your mind? McConnell is on my mind, and his wife. Elaine Chow? Yeah, she was Secretary of Transportation. That's correct. And she resigned, and then she was pardoned by Trump. Do you know what? Wait a minute, she was pardoned for what? I have no idea. And then. Uh, McConnell, when when the insurrection first started, he was all against Trump and and the insurrection. And after she got pardoned, he did a flip flop. Uh, she was not pardoned. She was uh, the inspector general of the transportation department wanted to open a criminal investigation into her self dealing while she was secretary of transportation. And the uh, and Bill Barr and the Trump Department of Justice refused to do that. Yeah, well, uh, so she well, wasn't pardoned. Uh, they just let her get away with her crimes. Yeah, and then that did that change uh, McConnell's outlook on the insurrection? I don't. I, you know, McConnell benefited tremendously from the Trump presidency, and probably would have continued to benefit from an ongoing, you know, an ongoing thing. 
Good question. Cliff, thank you. Thank you for the call. Dave in uh, Claremore, Oklahoma. Hey, Dave, what's on your mind today? I've got information about a book. The Easy Way to Stop Smoking is a book written by Alan Carr, and the man's dead now, but it has like a 95 to 98 percent success rate. And I've listened to the book on. CD. So what's his what's his strategy, Dave? At the very beginning, he says, don't quit smoking. Keep smoking while you listen to this. But he just talks sense to you. He doesn't try to scare you. He's got one, oh, one chapter or so where he tells about the downfalls and the bad side of cigarette smoking. But he just talks sense. And at the end of the book, and I've gone through it a couple times, you know, I, I've listened to more than once. But at the end of the line, I picked up a cigarette and looked at it and just said, this is doing nothing for me. And I tossed it, and I've never had a withdrawal symptom. I've had no problems. I've given these CDs, and we've made, my wife and I have made CDs for people, and they, they all have success. Very cool. And What's the title of the book again, Dave? The book is The Easy Way to Stop Smoking by Alan Carr. Okay. And I'll tell you, you know, when I when I quit smoking, uh, you know, Louise got pregnant with our oldest, and and she said, uh, "I'm quitting, and if you want to sleep in the same bed with me, you're going to quit too." And I put a pack of Marlboros on top of the refrigerator, and every day I'd walk by it and say, "I'm stronger than you are, mf'er," and uh, I would literally talked to that pack of cigarettes for a couple of weeks. It was not easy, though. I got to tell you. Well, I just wanted to, since you're on the air and, and talking to so many people, I just wanted to get that word okay, out. Okay, it's a good one. Dave, thank you, Dave. Appreciate the call. And welcome back, Brian in Arveda, Colorado. Hey, Brian, I, my apologies for lo- losing track of you after I put you on for just a second. No What's worries, up? Tom. No worries. Thank you so much for doing this show and for writing your books for the last decade plus with your IQ. You could obviously do anything you want for work, and you chose to serve the nation in a truly beautiful way. And there are tens of thousands of us that literally love you for it. So on behalf of all of us, Tom, thank you from the bottom of our heart. Well, thank you, Brian. What's up? You're very welcome. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about Mark Ruffalo's documentary, Invisible Hand. You obviously really saw something in that film because you invited the directors on the show. And it actually inspired me to host a screening of it here in Denver. Basically, Arvada, we're a Denver suburb, uh, a lot colder than Anaheim. I tell you, I just learned the hard way what black ice is. I slipped and spilled coffee all over myself right there in my own driveway. Yikes. (laughs) But, yeah, I'm okay. But, um, anyway, I'm doing a a free screening of Invisible Hand at a local library meeting room on Saturday, November 20th. And anyone listening can host their own screening, by the way. They just have to go to Invisible Hand Film. Dot com and sign up and pay a small licensing fee and you can take take donations or sell tickets to cover that but and anyone listening is also welcome to attend my screening they can rsvp at my website which is breakingthesun.com named because we are breaking the bank mm-hmm. when it comes to our ancient sunlight i learned that from my favorite book that's great so, Brian, uh, I Brian, to, go ahead i'm sorry I wanted to ask you what it is you saw in the film and assuming you would why you would recommend it any listeners in denver uh, take the time to RSVP and attend the screening. Well, I, I have to confess, it's been a while since we had them on, and Louise and I watched the movie, and we watch a lot of documentaries, and I frankly don't remember the premise of this one. Can you recap it for us, Brian? 
It was about the rights of nature movement, the idea oh, yeah. that uh, an ecosystem yeah, can, can have rights just like a corporation has rights. And That's it was great. about that move, movement. I was going to also ask you how you saw that movement playing out. Yeah, and I got into the work that Tom, Thomas Lindsay and other people like him are doing with the Community Environmental Legal Defense Fund and, and whatnot. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what was your question, Brian? Well, I, just, I wanted to know how you how you felt about the rights of nature movement, this concept that, you know, I think it's one of the few things that could rights. save us. I mean, this is if you look at indigenous and aboriginal societies all over the world, what you find is that every almost without exception, they made the same mistake that we are making as a planet. They take the Maori, for example, the indigenous people of, of uh, New Zealand. They arrived in New Zealand back uh, about 900 years ago, maybe 1,200 years ago. Some, I'd have to go back and look at my own book. This is all in, uh, in my book, Threshold. They arrived there on a pristine island that had never been occupied by humans and that was filled with 50 different varieties of moa birds, which is why they're called the moris. It means moa eaters. All these different kinds of moa birds, from the size of an ostrich down to the size of a, of a small chicken. And the birds had no fear of humans. They could just walk up to them and break their necks. And, and so they went on a 300-year binge, eating binge. And they ended up wiping out all the moa birds. And then their society you know, devolved into barbarism. They broke into 30-plus uh, warring tribes. They actually started eating each other. This was after they ate every other small mammal they could find. They started eating frogs. They, they, def they, they emptied God. the fish from the waters around New Zealand. And it takes a while for a society to figure out how, how they've damaged themselves. Eventually, they got around to saying, if we need to live in sustainability with our environment. And every indigenous society has reached that point all around the world. And, and you find these stories all across North America as well. We are doing it, only we're doing it with the whole damn planet. And I think that things like the rights of nature movement are, uh, you know, a step in getting us away from that. Brian, thanks a lot for the call. Sorry to hit the break there. Thank you very much. Uh, rights of nature are really important. Invisible Hand is the movement. Mark Ruffalo's movement. We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.